Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. Philippians chapter 1, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you can find that on page 980. As we continue making our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, we are transitioning this morning into the main body of the letter, the, the real business, uh, the, why Paul is writing. And as uh, Paul gets to the reasons that he's writing, uh, the business at hand this morning, we're going to see the importance of living our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So we are in Philippians chapter 1, and we are going to pick up this morning beginning in verse 27. Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And so as we pick up again here in verse 27, after giving the Philippians a personal update about his circumstances, Paul turns now to address the Philippians in their circumstances. And he says to them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you'll, you'll notice that he starts with that word only at the very beginning of verse 27. And that word highlights the importance of what he's about to say. In other words, Paul has only one thing for the Philippians to attend to. Okay, his, his burden for them can be boiled down to one thing, and that is for them to live their lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Now, this is certainly not the only command that Paul is going to give the Philippians. He's actually going to give them many more. Uh, but all of the other commands that we're going to see as we continue through the letter fall under this idea of living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, which we'll see is directly related to his prayer from a couple weeks ago, that their love will abound. And so in many ways, this, this verse 27 is the heading for the rest of the letter. Everything else that Paul is going to say is more or less explaining what it looks like uh, to, to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Now, the concept of our manner of life has strong undertones of citizenship to it. Citizenship. Uh, it, it portrays uh, believers as being citizens of the kingdom of God and those who are subject to the laws of that kingdom, just like we are subject to the laws of the United States as American citizens. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, uh, the, the law, the, the rule, the regulations that, that is supposed to guide our lives is the gospel, right? the good news of what God has done to save us from our sin through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the implications that then flow out of it. So the Bible teaches that every one of us naturally rebels against God and, and our sin. All of us do things that he commands us not to do, and all of us don't do things that he commands us to do. And in the process of pursuing our sin, we bring destruction into our own lives 
and to the world around us. And the Bible is clear that God will hold us responsible for that. The Bible is very clear about the reality of hell. And yet at the same time, the, the Bible also gives us good news, the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. And that is that because God loves us, he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross as a substitute, as a, as a sacrifice for our sin. And by believing and trusting in what Jesus has done for us and not in anything that we can try to do by ourselves to make ourselves right with God, we are forgiven of our sins. We are reconciled to God and we are given new life by the Holy Spirit. Right? And it's from that point of new life that Paul now gives us this command. He's calling us to live our lives worthy of or in line with the good news we have believed. And as we said last week, the gospel changes everything. It impacts every area of our lives. And Paul expects that reality to be reflected in the way that we live. Now, in the second half of verse 27, Paul explains that he wants the Philippians to do this so that whether he is with them or whether he is away and only hears about them, that he will know that they are standing firm in one spirit. So last week we saw that Paul was expecting to be released from prison at some point and then eventually to make his way back to Philippi to continue working with the church there. But whether he is with them or not, he wants to be confident that they are standing firm in one spirit. And standing firm is the first example of what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, standing firm is a military phrase. It was originally used to describe soldiers digging in and holding the line against the enemy in battle. And this call to, to stand firm is the first indication in the letter that there is some kind of opposition that the Philippians are facing, since Paul wouldn't have to call them to stand firm if everything was going well. And while he doesn't tell us the specifics about the opposition, it's obvious just from what we know from Acts about the, the beginning of the church in Philippi that the Philippians are in an environment that was hostile to their faith and that was making life difficult for them in at least some way. And so Paul calls them to stand firm. Now, increasingly, we're finding ourselves in similar situations today. Right? If, if you watch the news or, or anything, then it, I don't have to sit here and explain to you the myriad of ways that our culture is running as fast as it can in the exact opposite direction of the ethics and, and the lifestyle that the Bible calls us to. And increasingly, society is expecting for Christians to move along with them. And if they don't, then they're going to increasingly make life difficult in various ways. But church, compromising the gospel is simply not an option. It is not an option for us. Paul calls us to stand firm. And he calls us to stand firm in one spirit. That obviously refers to our need for unity as a church. If we're going to stand firm in one spirit, then we must be united with each other. We, must, we will not be able to stand firm if we are not together. And we're not going to spend any more time on unity this morning because Paul is going to deal with that in depth next week. But we should note this morning that Paul expects, to be, expects us to be united as a church. It's worth asking ourselves the question, if we are looking to cultivate unity in our church through our attitudes and our actions. 
But moving on, next Paul describes what standing firm involves. First we see at the end of verse 27 that Paul calls the Philippians to stand firm by striving or contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. And contending side by side is an athletic phrase, and while it wasn't around in ancient times, perhaps the best illustration for us today is thinking about offensive linemen on a football team. And if, if you or someone you love has ever played the position of quarterback, then you are keenly aware of how important it is for an offensive line to operate and work together as a unit. It's not enough to simply have several big bodies standing between the quarterback and the defense. The offensive line doesn't do their job and work together as a unit, then the defense is going to overwhelm them. The quarterback is not going to have a very good day. If you you want to move the ball downfield by running, it's not enough to have individual linemen trying to figure out what they're supposed to do as the play develops. They have to coordinate things and work together again as a unit in order for the play to work in the way that it's designed to. So if you ever watch the offensive linemen before the snap, they're not just sitting there waiting. They're they're communicating with each other. The center is is identifying the formation of the defense, and he's making sure that each lineman knows who they're supposed to block, and and he's determining whether the play needs to be altered based on how the defense is positioned. And then as the ball snapped, each one of them plays their part in executing the strategy. Again, having bodies is not enough. You have to be able to work, contend side by side, and work together. And this is just another reminder of of the importance of the local church. We we say it frequently, God gave us the church because we need one another. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. The world and, and and the devil will simply eat us up if we try to go at it alone. But God has given us the church where we can be surrounded in a community of faith of people who will help us to follow Jesus and who we can help to follow Jesus. That's why membership is is such a a premium, and we want to make that uh, more and more so. And and the same thing that we're talking about with football is true for the church, right? If we're going to stand firm, then it's not enough for us to simply have bodies in place, right? We need to work together, contend, strive side by side. If the church is going to accomplish our mission, then we all have to work together, We all have to push in the same direction together. This is one of the reasons why we expect our members to be involved and and to have an active role of service somewhere in our church. It's because we need all hands on deck. We need everyone to be striving side by side. We can't stand firm if we're not all doing our job. So if you are a member of our church and you're currently uninvolved, then I want to encourage you to find an area where you can serve according to the giftings that God has given you. And if you don't know what that might be, then talk to one of our staff members or to one of our ministry leaders or coordinators. They would be glad to help you find a place where you can plug in. Standing firm, especially in the face of increasing opposition over time, it requires us to strive side by side, and we need all of our members engaged in order to do that. Moving into verse 28, we see the second thing that standing firm involves, and that is not being frightened in anything by your opponents. 
Uh, being frightened is, is yet another military phrase. It was often used in the ancient world to refer to horses who would get startled by the sound of battle beginning and would buck off their riders and, and take off and, and flee uh, the battle. And Paul seems to be concerned that as opposition increases against the Philippians, that some of them are going to have a similar reaction. Right, when it comes to persecution, opposition, pushback, fear of the potential consequences of standing firm in the faith is, is always a possibility. And depending on the nature of the opposition, the Philippians may have had reason to be afraid. Right? There's, like Paul, they had much to lose if they were found to be on the wrong side of the empire. There were potential social consequences, economic consequences, relational consequences that, that could go uh, with, with holding fast to their profession of faith in Christ. Uh, like Paul, prison and even death could have been on the table. And any one of those things, or some combination of them, would, would be enough to make anyone question whether or not standing firm in the faith was worth the cost. And so you could ask the question, would the Philippians be intimidated into, into to giving up, into conformity with the world? Will we be intimidated into conforming to the world? Paul says, don't be. Standing firm involves not being afraid in any way by those who would oppose you, no matter what the consequences are. And he's going to explain why in just a moment. But first, you'll notice that he says that believers not being afraid actually serves as a sign of coming destruction to their opponents and of coming salvation to themselves. See, all of us, by nature, God-given, have a, a natural aversion to suffering and death. And so, by nature, we do everything that we can to avoid those two things, which is why people persecute you, right? They're trying to persuade you to not continue going in a particular direction by, by giving you reasons to avoid pain and death, right? And so, when somebody chooses to suffer or, or even to lose their life, it indicates that they must have a really, really good reason for doing so. And throughout history, the, the ability of Christians to look their persecutors in the eye and to endure suffering and persecution and even the loss of their lives has been one of the main ways that God has used to turn persecutors into believers, right? just as he did with the Apostle Paul. Right? And so uh, the suffering, the willingness of God's people to suffer, the unflinching witness of God's people is a, is a demonstration of the truth of the gospel that, that uh, is a sign of the coming destruction of those who oppose God. But on the other hand, suffering is a sign of, to the believer of their coming salvation, because as we saw a few weeks ago, it confirms the fact that they truly believe. Right? Only someone who really, truly embraces the gospel is going to be willing to suffer or to lose their life for it. And so enduring suffering serves as a sign of coming salvation for those who believe. And with that, Paul moves on to, to explain a, what may be a very surprising theological truth about suffering as we pick up uh, again in verse 29. He writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, 
but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So why do the Philippians not need to fear anything from those who oppose them? Well, at least in part, because suffering for the gospel is under God's control and something that he gives to his people as a gift. Yes, we read that correctly. Paul says that not only has God granted us the ability to believe in Jesus, but he also gives us opportunities to suffer for him. This is easily one of the more challenging statements in the Bible for people who live in the Western world. Because again, by nature, we do all that we can to avoid this gift. Right? The, the gift of suffering for the cause of Christ is like the fruitcake at Christmas that nobody wants. Right? You keep trying to pass it on to somebody else. Right? But no, this is something that God desires for his people. And Paul, who is, is writing as someone who's very much familiar with suffering, is telling us that suffering for the gospel is a gift from God that we should receive. Well, how on earth does this gift work? Well, Paul doesn't actually elaborate on that here. But we, we've seen before, even recently, that, that we know that God uses the suffering in our lives to grow us and to develop us spiritually. So you might call it spiritual growing pains. Dr. Paul Tripp refers to, to this process as God's uncomfortable grace. And he puts it this way. He says, God will take you where you would not choose to go in order to produce within you what you could not achieve by yourself. See, there, there is growth in the Christian life that only happens through difficulty. And so as God is in the process of making us like Jesus, he gives us opportunities to suffer for the gospel. This is what Paul saw that the Philippians, and we, by extension, need to understand about the opposition that we face. Now, as I was thinking and preparing this week, I couldn't help but wonder how many of us can truly say that we have ever suffered as a result of our faith. And, and let me be clear, when I say that, I'm not talking about you told someone Merry Christmas and they replied with Happy Holidays, all right? I just want to be very clear, that is not persecution, no matter what the memes on Facebook tell you, all right? That is an insult to our brothers and sisters around the world. I'm talking about facing real negative consequences as a result of our faith or the implications that our, our faith has on the way that we live our lives, and granted, here in America, where we still have legal protection to exercise our faith, uh, at least free of government interference, uh, we won't suffer necessarily in the same ways that our brothers and sisters do in other areas of the world. But I, I just can't read the New Testament and, and come across with, with, with any other conviction except that discipleship that lives up to its name will encounter opposition of some kind. It may come in the form of, of an ethical dilemma where, where holding to biblical convictions costs us something, whether it's a job or, or some other position. Uh, it may come in the form of, of losing a friendship uh, over, over holding to the gospel or, or pressing them to believe the gospel or to repent of some particular sin. 
It may simply be the shame that increasingly comes from whether it's the media or society at large for not being in the social in-crowd. There are a lot of ways that it could happen, but following Jesus faithfully will bring us into conflict with an unbelieving world. And if I'm honest, I think that's actually the problem, is that far too often our lives are easy because we are not being faithful, at least not as faithful as we should be. And we take inventory of our lives and we realize that we're not really suffering at all for our faith, and it's probably because there are areas of our lives where we are not being as faithful as the Lord has called us to be. The reason for that is because being obedient in whatever way that might be could bring potential consequences that we just don't want to deal with. Or to use Paul's terminology, we are afraid in some way. I know that's been true for me more often than I would like it to be. There have been conversations that I probably should have had with people that I didn't initiate because I didn't want to deal with the consequences. There have been opportunities to to share the gospel that I have passed on simply out of a, a fear of rejection. There have been steps of obedience that I have not taken at times out of out of a fear of what might happen if I did. And I imagine that if you're willing to be honest too, I'm not the only person who can identify with that. Church, too often we do not suffer, we do not face opposition simply because we're not following Jesus faithfully. Now, as I say that, just to be clear, this is not to encourage us to make nuisances of ourselves. Right? We've, we've talked before about people who do absolutely obnoxious things in the name of Jesus. And then when people push back and throw things at them, they say, oh, Jesus said that we would be persecuted because we believe. No, you're just being a jerk. And people are responding to the fact that you're a jerk. All right? So that's not persecution either. That's just you being a jerk. So, right, so, so we are not to go looking for fights. We're not here to start things or, or to stir the pot. We're not trying to suffer. Our call is to follow Jesus faithfully. The reality is that if we do that, then suffering will find us soon enough. And when it does, we need to not be afraid because we know that the process of suffering is actually a gift from our good God. So as we get into the heart of Philippians this morning, Paul calls us to live our lives, to conduct ourselves as citizens of the kingdom in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And as we do that, as we seek to do that, we have to remember the fact that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. The the kingdom of God and the world are not at peace with one another. They are at odds. And again, we're not looking for a fight. But but we have to recognize that Satan and the world and even our own sinful flesh are going to turn up the opposition over time. And as that happens, we must stand firm as a church, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not being afraid in anything by those who would push back against us. And so as we hear God's word this morning, let's ask the Lord to help us to do exactly that. Let's pray together.